Well, hello, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Good Leadership Podcast. I'm Paul Botts, the CEO and founder of Good Leadership, and the co-host on this podcast with my friend, Kevin Sensnick. Well, hello, and I'm Kevin Sensnick, the Chief Learning Officer with Good Leadership and the founder of Interaction Dynamics Group, the mini like partner for Good Leadership. And I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about today's topic, Paul, uh, discipline follow-through. It's such a critical part of life and business, and so I'm really looking forward to diving into that more fully with you. You know, having three boys and kind of watching them approach life and seeing how they handle discipline follow-through is, is kind of interesting because they do it so differently, right? So my oldest son is out of college now, living on his own and learning that as adult things, and it's nice to see him finally embracing discipline follow-through uh, a little bit more. My middle son has always lived his life by discipline follow-through. He's a very disciplined young man. And then my youngest son is just kind of figuring it out. So it's kind of interesting to see all of them in a different part of their journey right now. Yeah, that's making me smile. I'm about a decade ahead of you in this thing, and I, I can tell you they do figure it out. They, they really do. So before we jump into our topic, uh, how are things going for you this week? Well, I have discipline follow-through on the brain because this morning, as I backed out of my garage, I saw the bed frame from one of my kids sitting in the, drive, in the garage and realized, oh, darn it, I forgot to make the bed. In, uh, it's my, one of my jobs I do at home, so I had to you know, get out of the car, run in and make the bed and get into my car to come on way over here to this podcast. So that's my own little version of discipline follow-through. Well, that's a really great example of in individual accountability, Paul, and following through on that. But that's not quite what we mean by discipline follow-through. It's not really about the I factor of how I get things on my to-do list. It's really about the we factor. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a very relevant concept now for us at Good Leadership because we just had a meeting earlier this week where we realized that over the next four months, our team has taken a lot of time off. I mean, I personally, I'm going to take a six-week sabbatical. It was something that I was intending to do in 2020, but it got pushed out two years. Wow. Our COO, Erin, she's going to take the entire month of August off because her youngest child, it, that's her last month with her child before she goes off to kindergarten. Um, our marketing coordinator, Ellen, is, uh, has been waiting to uh, take a honeymoon. She got married earlier this year. Three weeks, she's going to be gone, and... Teresa, our chief of staff, has got similar plans, and we're like, how in the world are we going to get all of this done? Essentially, we have to cover for each other. Otherwise, we're going to let a lot of people down, and that's really what we think about when we think about discipline follow-through. Well, that's an amazing example where we need discipline follow-through. I think a really good way to, to segue into our topic today and think more about this concept. So, you know, we believe discipline follow-through is built on the combination of prioritizing things, having open accountability, and an interdependence among the team members. Yeah, that's right. Great results only come when a team takes collective ownership by way of redundancies to check-ins and making sure that the most important things are getting done as they were promised. While most mm -hmm. leaders think about accountability as a you-do-what-you-say-you-will-do kind of concept, mm -hmm. we've learned to think about accountability in a team setting is more of a plural concept where people actually help each other. It's not a hold each other accountable. It's a help each other, regardless of position on the team. I think that's very true, Paul. And so do you have a, an example of a team that maybe took individual accountability too far? Yes, I do. And unlike some of the other stories that we've told in these podcasts, this one's really a cautionary tale about what can happen if you don't learn how to practice discipline follow-through well. It never ceases to amaze me how many hundreds of teams we've seen that can't get this concept right. They still think about it as you need to do what you said you'd do. Instead of building a, ser a series of systems and structures where people help each other get the most important things done. 
they learn to get just enough done in order to be able to do it again next year, but they never, ever really hit their goals. Yeah, and as you say that, I think of leadership teams I work with, and I kind of feel sometimes they have that procrastination factor, that they kind of feel if I get to the end of the year and I can make the deadline, I can get everything done at the very end of the year, it's all good. And the challenge when they do that is, yeah, they check things off their list, but they don't ever gain the benefit of all that momentum they could get throughout the year if they made those decisions earlier or got things done on time earlier in the year. Well, that's exactly what happened to this client. The CEO, in reflecting on a year that just did not go the way he wanted it to, said, you know, after we missed an important partner milestone, we, really, we realized that we were succeeding at hitting our own short-term little goals as a company, but we did that at the expense of our credibility in our industry because we missed some long-term strategic goals that really set us back in the industry. It really hurt our credibility. Wow. And so there really are a lot of costs if you don't figure out how to create discipline follow-through in the team. So that's really insightful, Paul. Can you paint a little bit more of the picture about what they were facing and what challenges they were looking at to try to get better in? Yeah, well, this is the classic story of these mid-sized companies that have a complex ownership structure um, with some private equity investors on the board. And what the board was seeing mm -hmm. is that this company was making its numbers month by month. And so the CEO okay. and the team was keeping up with that expectation. But slowly, some of the customers and some of the employees were unhappy because it was a short-sighted mentality. They were always problem-solving, and they really weren't you know, keeping each other informed about important things that were uh, trying to be done. So the trouble really started when a whole handful of young engineers, um, this was an engineering company, and so the engineering department was really the, the lifeblood of the organization. When young engineers started leaving and going across town to competitors, um, then people started really started to take notice. And it was interesting yeah. as we started to engage the managers around the questions of why. I mean, I'm sure you've heard stories like this before, haven't you, Kevin? Well, yeah, I think this is very timely with what's happening coming out of this pandemic period where people are looking to leave and go to other places. And the challenge sometimes is that leadership teams then kind of make these short-sighted adjustments. How do we fix this right now? And again, they kind of view it as an individual issue. What's wrong with these people that they're leaving us rather as a team issue? And I hear you kind of saying... This organization was recognizing it wasn't the individual engineer issue so much as the team-related issue here. Yeah, that's actually, that's exactly right. So what happened was some of the senior managers started walking around and talking to people. And what they learned is that people were being classically conditioned to only talk about what they were working on today and what did they get done yesterday. And so it became a culture oh, where wow. everybody's really only out for themselves. And they were losing picture of... The important things, you know, employees want to know, why do I fit, where do I fit, and why do I matter? They stopped talking about the big things that they were working on that you could describe as missional. And not only that, but those were the things that they had promised to their strategic partners who were really helping them okay. grow into new areas of the industry. So as they were just reporting on the day-to-day -day stuff they were getting done for them, each other and their customers, they were totally losing sight of the things that really made the company special. And that just, uh, that just wasn't working. Yeah, so how were the engineers feeling about that? Were they feeling good that they were getting their things done and it was the senior team that was struggling with the bigger picture? Or were the engineers beginning to feel the disconnect to the bigger strategy? So here's what happened. Everybody was feeling bad. Wow. You know, when you, when you create a me-first culture, it really does drive a sense of individualism 
And eventually, you, you can't accomplish great things by pointing fingers at each other asking you, what have you done for me lately? So after there were a couple of high-profile senior leaders who left engineering, they okay. allowed us to help train some of the managers to hold these stand-up meetings where we could just talk about what doesn't feel good right now. Mm. And it was the feel-good language that really opened up an honest dialogue and pretty much, you know, seeing their colleagues leave, some of the really bright, talented people, that didn't feel good. It also didn't feel right. good that the uh, strategic partners were constantly dinging them, saying, where are you at on my project? And they just, and, and they couldn't say, well, that's not a priority to my manager. <laughs> so they were getting stuck in all this stuff. And then, you know, the C-level people started realizing that all it took was one key person to miss one of their deadlines, and it all started to unravel with the board. So they really needed oh, wow. to make the shift from the me first, my accountability, it's my job, and to, uh, hey, how can we make sure that we help each other hit both the little things and the big things. And that, you know, we're all in this together, cultural shift, really made a big difference in their business. Yeah, so as I hear you kind of talk through that, it sounds like they kind of got into that to-do list mentality. What am I checking off my to-do list today? And so what are some things that the senior leaders were able to do to maybe think about that differently or to create more energy for the bigger priorities, not just the to-do list items? That's a great question. Probably the most important thing was they took a concept that we taught the C-suite leaders, this um, public scorecard, and they actually made it public. So they, they, they blew it up on posters. They put it up in spaces where people gather, and they started to fill in weekly how they were doing. And in the early days, mm -hmm. people were stunned by the fact that they were so far behind. But wow. that, okay. you know, we talk about a winning culture and they were saying, well, it doesn't, it's no fun to lose. We need to catch up. And so all of a sudden they started to help each other. And the first time they were able to color in some yellows on red, yellow, green, there was yeah. a burst of new energy in the organization. By the time they got nice. to greens, you know, people were really celebrating with each other. And what was also interesting is that one of those engineers who had left had come back to the company because he heard how many things were changing for the better. So there were these little right. wins along the way, but it really also started. It started with, you know, asking people how they were feeling, but then it really turned around when they took the, the uh, C-suite's um, public scorecard, tracking the top three priorities of the organization and putting it up on the walls in the, in the shop. And that changed everything for them. So I really liked the way they began to use that red, yellow, green indicator map to begin to understand where they were at and how they could get better. And I think one of the things I find in work with the leadership teams is they get very frustrated when they see red items on their chart initially. And we, I think we have to help them understand red is not necessarily bad if we take action to correct it and move it forward. So I like that you were moving them to yellow and then to green, and they saw the momentum around that. Well, it's important to say that a public scorecard helps improve discipline follow-through because nobody yeah. likes to see that we're behind or we're losing. And I think that's really an important right. part of this. So the cautionary part of the tale here is if you don't figure out discipline follow-through, you will slowly see morale slip. And mm -hmm. it'll slip first with the A players who are really motivated to get ahead in their careers. And then, mm -hmm. you know, management credibility wanes when momentum slows down 
And one of the things that C-suite leaders do not like to do is to explain why things are behind to their their boards or their private equity right. owners. That's just not good. And that, that kind of tone will filter through the whole organization. And then finally, you know, most people measure success on incentives. Am I hitting my incentives or not? And this company had paid out, you know, on average 50% of incentives for years and years. So they were just barely doing enough to get it to earn the opportunity to do it again next year. And that just, at one point, that just became unsatisfying to people. And, you know, it's really kind of the double whammy here. People are both surprised when they find themselves that far behind their goals and objectives. And if they don't have the information that they need to catch up, then it just reinforces the individual behaviors. I'm just going to put my head down and do my job and not, you know, it's every man for himself. And that is not a good way to run a high-performing company. Well, and I think what I kind of sense as you talk that through is you're hitting on some of that intuitive nature of leadership, that ability for leaders to recognize what's happening and respond to that effectively. And so what you just said a minute ago was interesting, that for so long they were just barely making it, mm-hmm. and now they were really upping the effort to achieve at a higher level across the team. So how did that then, how did they then deal with that idea of rebuilding trust if they had not been doing it so well for so long, and now they were really finding themselves hitting on more cylinders, how did the trust factor play into this a little bit? Well, I actually think that's a beautiful bridge into the success habits that I think can be learned from this particular story. I mean, success habits are things that leaders learn to do over and over again because they really work. So once they put the public scorecard up in the organization, they learned that they should never, ever take it down. That when they do a plan for the next year, They need to put that scorecard up immediately to help everyone understand what are the top three can't-miss priorities for the whole organization, not just engineering, but the whole organization, so they actually could help each other, and they needed to review it frequently in stand-up meetings. And the other thing is that they realized that, you know, follow-through and trust is really a series of human interactions. You know, if you make a promise, you need to tell people that you're actually keeping it, and when you finish something, you say, hey, I did it. If you make a promise and never, ever talk about it again, then it leaves kind of a gap in people's understanding. Not only that, but you can't celebrate it. But equally as much, if you make a promise and you're behind, you need to basically use common courtesy (laughs) to tell people, hey, I'm behind and I need a little bit of help. And I think we're certainly learning that um, in our society now when there's been so much disruption based on the pandemic and just all the things that are going on, it's impossible for everyone to stay up on all their promises. The common courtesy is to just have human conversations and talk about how you're doing. Yeah, and that takes a high level of vulnerability, I think, across a team. And so when we have that common courtesy, I think that really does support that relational component so so well. Yep. So I'm hearing you say then the success habits for our listeners this week are structurally create a public scorecard and track progress on priorities. Mm-hmm. And then relationally, keep others informed on how you're fulfilling your obligations to them. Yep, that's exactly right. Just the basic common courtesy of letting people know how you're doing. But if you have an individual mindset, it it just doesn't work that way. So when a leader commits to make sure that they're communicating how things are going on a regular basis, it's more of a waterfall than a faucet. Constant communication That helps everybody feel like they're in this together and they will help each other get the most important work done. And that's what discipline follow-through is all about. Yeah, I'm very inspired by this example you shared, Paul, because I can think of several teams I'm talking to in the next few weeks who are 
facing something similar about how they keep things on track. And so you gave me some really good insights on how to maybe coach them a little differently and direct that differently to move away from that sense of individual accountability to true discipline follow-through as a team that I think ultimately helps them achieve their compelling plan. So a really nice connection in our thinking today. Well, thank you, Kevin. And thank you to our listeners also for tuning in today. We just can't wait to further our conversations about good leadership and teams and high-performing organizations. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Uh, We always want to hear from you, whether it's your thoughts on today's topic or topics you'd like to hear about in the future. So please reach out to us. You can send us a note at info at goodleadership.com. That's I-N-F-O at goodleadership.com. And we'll see you next time. Yeah, we really hope to hear from you soon. And until next time, remember, good leadership is a team sport. And it's our intention to help you build the team that helps you build your dreams. Make it a great day.